Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, you are listening to the Alt and Our Stars. That's the name of the podcast. My name is Chris Payne. Um, and my guest here today, his name is Rhett Miller. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's a, it's a pretty nice day here in New York, I'd say. You've been out more than I have, it sounds like. Well, it's beautiful. We're on the top floor of this building on the 15th floor looking out at a skyline view that's pretty gorgeous. The southern tip of Manhattan. I see the Verrazano Bridge, which I name check in a song on my record, The Instigator, off there in the distance. This is kind of a view, except we're f- further north that I had from the building I lived in down by the Trade Center years ago. Um, we were at the tip of the island, so you could see the whole Verrazano Bridge and Lady Liberty off to the side. It was mm-hmm. pretty sweet. What do you think about the weather today? How would you describe the weather? <laughs> weather. It's a blue sky. It's in the 80s. A little sweaty. but uh, Cloud gor- cover is maybe 40%. <laughs> Gorgeous, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, um, did you read The Fault in Our Stars, or did you just like the title? I have a very good, pertinent answer to this. Okay. I have never seen the movie or read the book. However, I've been doing this podcast for about eight months, and my parents are regular listeners, and I was home for Father's Day on Sunday, and I got a little gift from them, which was The Fault in Our Stars on DVD. Uh, so you're not going to read the book? You're just going to watch the movie? Well, I mean, my it's bl- blame my parents, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they went straight to that DVD section yeah. of Barnes & Noble or wherever they went. That's really They funny. didn't go to the book section. It's a, it's a, Obviously, it's a pretty great book. It, you know, mm-hmm. As my friend George Draculius likes to say, you can't argue with the sales. Um, it's pretty great. I was for a little while. I was I was wanting to work on a young adult novel. In fact, I did for a little while. And in, in doing so, I I did a lot of reading of YA novels, and they are, um, as a whole, they are very emotionally gripping things. They tug at the heartstrings, and that one more so than most. The kids have cancer. I don't want to spoil it for you. I've heard about that. Actually, yeah, I was having and I was having a detailed discussion with someone last night about the book and the movie, kind of like the same discussion we're having, similar. And but <laughs> she didn't want to spoil any of it. But like and plus just from like how big it was and like working in media, I've already like picked up on like the sort of themes, yeah, the yeah. gist. Cancer, so famous author. Yeah. So like don't expect to be in like smiling when you're done with it. No, unless you're just a really creepy dude. <laughs> So pretty soon I'll I, – I, and I also keep saying, like, I guess there can't be a sequel to it because I guess there's, like, um kind of, like, a time, time, like, pertinent to my podcast title. Like, the clock is ticking on how long the reference will last. Uh, I think at a certain point it doesn't matter because you take it over. The alt in our stars becomes this mysterious thing that mm-hmm. then people will back-reference in order to figure out where you might have gotten this beautiful title because – the Altenar Stars, is, as a standalone title, sounds pretty great. And there could be a sequel to it, but it would have to be like a true detective type of deal where there's two new kids, mm-hmm. and this time it's <laughs> diabetes. How did you start me joking about <laughs> terminal illness? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. Well, I think I think the takeaway from that is that you feel that my podcast will outlast the fault in our stars in relevance. Sure. I think the same thing. <laughs> Let, let's, on that note, let's really dive into the the, the alt in our stars. 
So we take the stars, you're the star, oh, wow. and we talk about the alt, nice. the altness. So um, you did your latest album with Black Prairie. So you're touring behind it now, and this is sort of the last day of the tour. No, no, no. It's it's an ongoing thing. Um, I kind of have to bounce back and forth between solo gigs and 97 gigs. So I I did like a week and a week and a half in the Northeast uh, last month, and then this month I did. Uh, swing through Texas and then all the way down the West Coast. I just finished, which that uh, portion of the tour featured Annalisa Tornfeld, who plays fiddle and sings in Black Prairie. And she opened the shows supporting her new solo record, The Number Eight, which is really beautiful, and then joined me on stage for six or seven songs at the end of my set. Um, and the fact that, you know, she is the voice and the fiddle on the record makes it really cool because it's sort of you know i'm finally getting to present the album as it kind of kind of as it sounds to the listener which is frustrating to me that i can't just take black prairie out Mm -hmm. but most of the members of black prairie are in the band the decemberists and the decemberists are out working a new record so they're all over the world right now promoting that record and and um and that band pays better than i can offer them (laughs) for the moment Mm. Yeah, I just saw them at Governor's Ball, and they were on one of the big stages there. So cool. There's some financial competition. Yeah, exactly. But I do, and then I'll do. Um, I do a show in Dallas, uh, in a, in a few day, in a week, and then I'll have a some '97s touring, and then back to solo gigs. But I'll do a lot of solo stuff. The 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 main region that I haven't hit with the solo dates for this new record is the Midwest. And that's going to probably be like November, December, which is a little frustrating, but it's, you know, it's what it is. I got to serve two masters with the old 97s and the solo career. If I'm lucky, I'll get the 97s to play maybe one of the songs off the solo record. They've done that in the past. Mm. That way, at least people at the shows can hear one of the tunes. The good thing is the solo record exists and you could just go listen to that. You don't need me. But you must have to like really, really beg the ninety sevens to let you play a solo song. No, like, I wouldn't please. do it if I had to beg. They they offer. They they they're pretty nice. But they don't like me when I'm pouty, so <laughs> selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm. <laughs> so it seems like you've got these two lives pretty much well under control. Yeah, it's a cool thing where when I get sick of the old 97s, I can go be all by myself and then I do whatever I want and I'm all alone. But then I'm like, oh, I'm all alone. And then I miss them and I get to go back to the 97s. And, uh, you know, the audiences tend to be bigger for the big rock band. And and then I get to be more intimate with the solo. So it's like that thing. It's like when I get sick of one, the other is always there to, you know, um, take me back in and then I get sick of that and then I get to go back to the other. So mm. it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And you, you were telling me just before, um, aside from the touring, you're going to take a little trip back to Texas where you're from and see the family, right? I'm going to see my brother and his family and my sister and her family and my mom and her and my stepdad and my dad and my stepmom and all the little cousins. Yeah, I will. I will see them. Family time. We will frolic Quality on the lake. Time. Yeah. Maybe I'll do a gig to pay for the trip, you know, life. Uh, yeah, it's good. I, I have been working pretty hard, so it's nice to have a little downtime on the lake with all the little 
people, the tiny people that won't stop screaming. So it's like a lake situation. Because I've never been to Texas. I don't really even know what's a picture. So it's a lake area. Well, Texas has everything. Like if you start in East, like say you're driving from California, you drive through all the mountains, and then you get to East Texas, and it's just desert, you know, desert, 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 cacti, cacti. And then you get into some rolling hills. Depending on if you're going North Texas, it's flatter, hilly or south. And then uh, if you're smart, you kind of swing down to Austin. Maybe you go through um, Big Bend, which is like a big national park, which has like all sorts of crazy mountains and craters and stuff. And then you get to Austin, and it's like this kind of oasis with lots of trees and hills and swimming holes and creeks. And and it's a little bit cooler than everywhere else in both senses of the word. And hmm. and then um, then you go up to Dallas to see your mom and your dad, and it's a... Uh, hotter and a little more commercial in terms of the vibe you know you you definitely get the sense that some Halliburton money got funneled down there in the in the aughts and you know Texas kind of has it all then you go to East Texas and it's kind of more meh I was gonna say trailer parks and meth heads but that's not really nice it has some of that but it has also beautiful like Tyler State Park with a beautiful lake where you can go camping and you know and set up a tent and and encounter raccoons or make sweet, sweaty love with mosquitoes all around. But if your <laughs> tent is up and you're in it, then there's fewer mosquitoes. Still some. Mm. Do you so, feel like you're visiting there yeah, right now that, in your mind? And that was <laughs> even better than that New York City report. Which I was going to say, you you know your way around. You lived here. and I've lived here for like two and a half years. And I, I'm very, very bad at just like knowing directions and just like looking like, oh, that bridge is going to be over there, and this skyscraper is going to be there. It's it's a whole sort of like spatial sort of way of thinking. Well, but you I, seem to have it down. I fly in and out of it a lot, and so I do look out the window a lot. And it really gives you such a feel for because it's, what, the largest city in North America. Or so I've heard. Yeah, and it's but then you see it from the sky, and you're like, eh, it's not that big. It's just mm. those buildings and then those buildings over there. But you do, you know, do from seeing it from above um, and then from living here, I've got a pretty good feel for it. There's the south and there's the big gap where all the hipsters and the shops are. And then there's the north and the, the big park in the middle that seems so incongruous. Like, why haven't they paved that over yet? They could put a lot of buildings right there. But um, Seriously. Uh, <laughs> get, it, get it out. <laughs> 2015. Yeah, man. Who needs an ice skating rink? So Texas, are you going to go to a Rangers game? Uh, I'm going to go to – I just went to a Rangers game in Kansas City the other day. It was pretty great. We won. Um, the Rangers have been looking better. Uh, you know, it's funny. I am also – to answer your question on this trip, I don't think I am, uh, although I haven't looked into it. If there, if I can on the 3rd of July, if there's a home game, but I don't think there's one. Um, I'm on an email group with a bunch of rock and rollers. Um, Joe Pernice from the Pernice Brothers was, a, I think, the founder of it. But now it includes Mike from R.E.M. and Scott McCoy from R.E.M. And, um, you know, just a bunch of dudes. Will from Centromatic and Steve Wynn of, of the Baseball Project. Um, there's another guy that I think is joining our ranks just today it came up. I, I shouldn't say because he's not He hasn't passed the test yet. Yeah, we haven't cleared him yet. <laughs> it's kind of funny. There have been multiple people that have been brought up for inclusion in our little Cosa Nostra who have been turned down. Some members of the media that people felt like it was they wanted to be more free with their speech. And if there was like an editor from a magazine, it was going to freak him out. There was um, a guy who was a manager of a team, you know, of an actual MLB team. Um, not the manager, but the president that we thought about including. But then that was too weird because we want to be able to bash his team. Talk, yeah, bad about his team and not feel bad for the guy. So, yeah, there's been a lot of people turned down. I, I feel I've got a couple of people I want to offer up for inclusion, and I'm a little bit afraid that they're going to turn them down and then I'll have to hurt their feelings, you know. Because it sounds like you guys really talk the talk. There's a lot no, of her feelings. Mac that gets talked. Yeah, yeah. Joe Pernice is a Red Sox fan, and thank God they suck this year. And the Rangers were doing terribly, but now they're better. It's kind of fun. There's a lot of music that gets you know talked about, and then a lot of baseball, and then a lot of just stupid, stupid, you know, 
14-year-old boy kind of stuff. And thank God we're getting, we're getting some more women in the group now. Mm-hmm. We've got Stacey May Fowles, who's this great Canadian writer, and she keeps us a little bit clean. Mm-hmm. You should ask Joan Jett. She Dude. loves the Orioles. Really? Do you yeah. know Joan Jett? Can you hook us up? Oh, yeah, we're besties. Oh, Besties. I have a Joan Jett story. Yeah? Yeah. You want to hear it? Sure. In fourth grade, I was um, sick for a long time. I had an inner ear imbalance that put me in the hospital for like three months. And um, and I, I'm so old that when I was in fourth grade, the uh, medium for music listening was record player. And so I had this little travel record player my parents brought in. And I had my Runaways, my um, Bad Reputation, my I Love Rock and Roll. I had the whole Joan Jett experience on album. And in fourth grade, I was so in love with her. I was just so in love. I didn't, I don't know that it was really sexual in nature. I just thought she was so badass. And um, I listened to her constantly. So when I got out of the hospital, finally, I was still not great. I couldn't really walk without crutches. So I had those weird little crutches that go, that like the metal thing wraps around your wrists, Mm -hmm. like kind of like the modern Tiny Tim crutches. Yeah, yeah. So I had those. And um, in Dallas, my mom knew somebody that knew somebody at Pace Concerts. And they had heard about this sick kid that was in the hospital and missed all the fourth grade and all this stuff. And they knew that I was a big rock and roll fan. And so they offered to bring me to this big Texas Jam concert. And they knew that my favorite of all of them was on the bill, Joan Jett, in addition to Journey and Sammy Hagar. And um, so when it was Joan Jett's turn to play, um, someone from Pace Concerts brought me from the press box where they'd given us seats, which was pretty badass in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, This is at the Cotton Bowl. They brought me down to the ramp where Joan Jett was going to walk from her dressing room to the stage. And it was hot, and, and I was, you know, sitting with my crutches, and I had an 8 by 10 of Joan Jett and a Sharpie in one hand, clutched, you know, with my thumb against the, the edge of my crutches. And then all of a sudden, Joan Jett's band is walking down the ramp, and she's in the middle. You can kind of see her tiny little head bobbing between their shoulders every mm. once in a while. So the woman from Pace walks me over to where I'm standing on the ramp right in their path, and as they approach us, I position myself to where they kind of have to walk around the weird little kid on crutches. And so as they're walking around us, I get my moment, and I look up, and Joan Jett's right there, and she's not that much bigger than me in fourth grade. <laughs> and um, and I make eye contact with her, and it's all right there. Like, I'm, I, all the things I want to say, like, you know, uh, I want to tell her about my favorite songs of hers and what lyrics really speak to me. And ask her clearly for an autograph because I got this stupid eight by ten in my hands, and um, all I can say at that moment as they walk past is, "Are you Joan Jett?" <laughs> and and she <laughs> she looks down at me and she goes, "Yeah," and just keeps walking, and that was it, and <laughs> and that was it. And they just kept walking and they went up on stage and they played, and the woman from Pace said that she would get my eight by ten signed, and that never happened. But I, still, I'm like. Oh man, I don't know what I would have said because the time the window was so small. Yeah. But it also makes me, and I know that I'm not Joan Jett, but I do know that certain people and that are fans of mine have uh, some s- smaller version of that reaction when they meet me, and maybe sometimes they get tongue tied. And I always try and take a moment to uh, let them think through their initial horrible thing that they say <laughs> yeah it's just like keep eye contact just like give them that reassuring look like you can do down. it you can do it you can do it yeah <laughs> are you Joan Jett yeah it's, it's like the combination of being very young and also being very nervous where you stop thinking and just like instinct takes over and just something comes out without yeah. thinking about it she's obviously Joan Jett right <laughs> jeez <laughs> Just, you know what I really wanted, and I think that this is, and it might have been sort of a moment when I was going from being a little twerp to being like a young uh, adolescent, was I just wanted to make out with her. I just wanted to be like, dude, you're so hot. I know I'm fourth grader on crutches, but I'm in fifth grade next year. <laughs> so we could really think about this as, a, mm. maybe not forever, but just for right now. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, if you've got her email, hook us up. Yeah, so yeah, it's all coming baseball. out now. Yeah. She's a huge Orioles fan. Yeah, I did this project two years ago where I was trying to find a musician super fan of every MLB team and interview them about what they thought about the team coming into the season. And I got, I think, 19 out of 30, but I got her to talk about the Orioles. And she 
did the fantasy camp one year back in the 80s where yeah. she actually like got a uniform and trained with former players and played in a bunch of games like she's legit my my guitar player in the old 97s did that up in boston with his best friend uh they went up and did the fantasy camp and it was pretty great they won the the um world series of their fantasy camp and he wears this gaudy ass world series ring around in his stupid red sox jersey um and he knows like a bunch of major league you know former major league players and he'll be like yeah man i'm gonna text some dude you know mm. you know that some hall of famer that's like jason varitak yeah exactly come out to our show and um yeah he thinks he's really cool but i'm just like dude your best friend paid you know 1500 bucks and you got to pretend you were somebody for a minute so don't think you actually <laughs> got drafted by a team and made it through the minor leagues and then made it to the bigs or you just paid money mm. all right we all know <laughs> how this works so yeah the the Rangers are a few over 500, and, like, I haven't really followed them because I'm an Arizona fan, and I yeah. don't have a lot of time to, like, just go deep on American League teams. But it seems like with you out and statistics, I just, like, glanced over, like, their lineup and their stats. It didn't seem, like, incredible, but they're pulling it together. Well, Prince Fielder's having a great season, finally, and Mitch Moreland is overperforming. I guess he's finally healthy. Our starting rotation is actually good, which is crazy, because Derek Holland and Yu Darvish, our top two guys, have been out since training camp, basically. So we've got these guys, you know, um, Chi-Chi and Wande, these guys that are kind of mm-hmm. showing up and and playing good in big spots. Right now we're on a three-game skid, but we've faced some incredible, you know, pitchers and whatever. Who knows? Uh, I don't think we're I don't think we're winning anything this year, but at least we're not. You know, so miserable as you know to be unwatchable. Yeah, and you've got pride for your little email list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's things I can talk about. Like just today, there's a a rumor that the Phillies might be trading us Cole Hamels. So uh, Pat Burkery, who's uh, the drummer in Clap Your Hands Say Yeah, is on the list, and he's a Phillies fan, which is a terrible thing to be this year. Ooh, been pretty for much, a few years. Yeah, pretty much the worst. Oh. So, um, but at least I can ask him something. We have something to talk about, <laughs> other than just God, you guys stink. You know. Yeah, and you t- you were telling me <laughs> when I talked to you a couple couple months back that Clint Hurdle, the manager of the Pirates, yeah. has this. I think it's a separate email chain, right, where he says all these motivational anecdotes every day. It is, although I occasionally will forward on some of the stuff that he sends to the group of rock and roll baseballers oh is he trying to get in no no I, he was no. see the guy no 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 no. the guy was a front office guy that's right yeah, yeah but um but no clint hurdle he's got his hands full i think um but he's a big music fan and he did um a stint with the rangers before he got you know the the job in pittsburgh and um, which is cool too because jeff banister our, our manager now was with Clint over in Pittsburgh for like the last three years and he he seems to be a really cool manager and the guys seem to be responding to him and he's a big music fan when we played Kansas City the other night we had Jeff Bannister on the guest list and he didn't end up coming because they had a noon game the next day if it had been a night game they all assured me that he would have been there but um, apparently he's a big music fan too but no Clint is a cool guy Um, the one gig he was gonna make it out to I mean those guys work more than I do you know their mm-hmm. their schedules nuts but they were he was supposed to come out after a, a Pirates Cubs game in Chicago last season and it got rain delayed so we were actually playing as they were playing their game that night so he missed our show but um but it's cool he sends out like his kind of motivational daily email to a list of people and um, he kind of does that thing where He's not of the younger generation, as it were, that knows about the BCC on the email list. So I can go through and look at all the people Ooh. that he sends this email to. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have uh, ideas that I have some pretty cool people's email addresses, but I haven't, um, I haven't, you know, mm, taken advantage of that. those in the, the locked away just, in just the vault. Someday, if I need to hit some people up for some cool... Uh, I don't know what, tickets to some events or something. He's like, so, we both talked to Clint about baseball. <laughs> You're a friend of Clint, FOC. So am I. <laughs> speaking of friends and speaking of baseball. Chris, I like how low-key you are, by the way. Oh, thanks. You keep it very cool. <laughs> it's the alt side. Yeah. I don't want to be too much to the star side. Yeah. More, more alts. <laughs> okay, speaking of baseball. Yeah. 
Um, Mike from REM, I know he's really big into baseball. Is he like he was on the album? Is he part of this little group too? Oh, Peter Buck was on the album, okay. and Scott McCoy sort of helped out. I, I mean, I think mostly Peter played, and Scott mm-hmm. sort of oversaw mm-hmm. and uh, kind of art directed Peter's performance. Um, Mike Mills is just on the email list. I mean, I'm buddies with mm-hmm. him too. He, right. he did get up with us in Athens last year. It was a really funny moment. We do a cover of Driver 8, which we've had Peter Buck play with us before at his festival down in Mexico and and randomly here and there. Um, but we were in Athens, and I didn't know whether or not Mike was showing up. And, and we came out for the encore, and our guitar player, Ken, who thinks he's a major leaguer, Ken was like, oh, man, we got to do it. We got to do We got to do Driver 8. And I was like, oh, God, okay. Well, if he's not here, then it just seems like we're sucking up to the town. And if he is here, then I don't want to. Whatever. It's like it's a lot of pressure to play a dude's song in front of the dude. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, Ken goes, and this is how Ken always gets me. He goes, the punk rock thing would be to do it. So <clears throat> I, of course, took, We have to be punk bait. rock. Yeah. So I said, all right, let's do it. And um, we did it, and it was sounding really good. And then. I, st- I started hearing Murray. You know, I kind of had my eyes closed, too, because I was really focusing. And I started hearing Murray's background vocals louder than usual and really on. And I'm thinking, like, Murray, M- Murray must think that Mike Mills is in the room or something because he's really nailing these <laughs> these vocals in a way he never It's like karaoke. Like, yeah. Uh... And so, of course, I look over, and it's Mike Mills who's climbed up on stage and mm-hmm. taken over Murray's microphone and, and is actually singing the actual vocals. And, of course, me, I'm just looking at Murray thinking, listen to him. He's nailing it. You should do it like this. You know, It's like I go from being starstruck and happy that Mike is there to being like, come on, Murray. This is how it's done, dude. Because he's normally singing mm-hmm. at about half the speed and <laughs> volume. Yeah, and – <laughs> you love REM, right? Like, that was your shit. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was 14 in 85, and it was important, you know. I think when you're 14 years old, whatever is your thing that you love is kind of going to be your thing forever. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, that was a big record. And 14 was worse than fourth grade. You know, fourth grade when I was like 11 or whatever, that was bad because I was sick. But 14, I was just unhappy and cuckoo and it, the world didn't make a lot of sense and i was pretty feeling pretty bleak but um you know rem was one of the handful of records um that that suddenly made sense to me yeah life's rich pageant i'm not gonna say it saved my life but it it definitely helped you know it definitely helped me figure out that there was more than just being pissed off at the emptiness of our you know existence mm. So when you met them first, you were like, hey, are you Michael Stipe? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's always hard. It's always hard to talk to people. Um, I met Peter and, and Mike Mills before Michael Stipe, but, but then um, I was really afraid to meet because I kind of figured Peter and Mike would be like, Mike Mills would be like kind of just normal dudes because they're mm. just the, – but then you think about who's the artist, like who's the – you know the the one who really communes with the muse. Although, really, the, they write so communally that they're that they're always you know all sort of tapped into the higher power, whatever it is. It's not just one guy bringing in songs, but um, but Michael Stipe is definitely kind of somebody that doesn't seem like somebody you'd be in a van with. He's somebody that you would be at a movie premiere with or something like. Mm. He's like kind of existing on a higher plane or maybe you know you'd be at a an ashram in, you know, Tibet or something. But so when I did finally meet Michael Stipe, he couldn't have been nicer and he couldn't have been more charming and engaging and you know, he posed for a picture right away with my mom. You know, my mom happened mm, to be backstage at that show and and so um it was just he was super sweet. So I think the best is when people in that situation know that they could be freaking you out just by being them and and immediately sort of disarm, you know, and defuse. And, and he definitely was cool about that. And they were all, you know, they were all really forthcoming about saying that they were big old 97s fans. And, and whether or not that was true, I did kind of think from their level of knowledge that they weren't just saying that. But even if they were, it was really sweet, and it went a long way to making me not feel like I was, you know, just a peon in the presence of the kings, you know. Yeah, like you were saying, it definitely is a skill being able to make someone feel at home when you know that they're going to be a little bit starstruck. It's like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It was funny. Um, 
Jacob Dylan has a thing that he says about his dad where he says that my dad is now on this perpetual tour of giving people the opportunity to meet Bob Dylan. Like, and that's, he just goes from place to yeah. place and lets people meet Bob Dylan. And that's got to be insane because obviously that's on a whole other level. And I don't know, I, I've never met him. You know, we, we do have a co-write credited with him, but it was all done through management. And, um, and it was really sweet. You know, I got an email from his manager saying that Bob listened to the song that you, I, I used a melody of one of his songs, rewrote all the lyrics, and then eventually got permission from him to release it. And he was super cool about it and wrote an email saying, you know, from the manager, Bob says he loves the song and he wants to read the lyrics. So I sent the lyrics. Bob says he loves the lyrics and he'll, um, he'll even go so far as to let you guys keep half of the publishing for the song as if it's a traditional co-write, which was, he didn't, unnecessary. He didn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, he could have just, he could have said, don't release it or sure you can release it, but obviously I own the song, but you can put it out. And he was really cool about it, but it, I never got to meet him. But um, it's got to be weird to be Bob Dylan. I mean, that goes without saying. But um, I don't know that he necessarily is super concerned about defusing. I don't know if he's worried about making people feel super comfortable. Mm. And I mean, honestly, in my life, uh, you know, I worry so much about other people. I worry about, are they okay, you know, in my personal life and then in my job. And I'm trying really hard to go the other way, like to not give a shit so much, you know, like whatever, dude, it's not my job to make everybody happy. So, so if they're not happy, then maybe that's on them mm. unless it really is on me. And then maybe I'll worry about it, but uh, it's going to take a lot for me to think that maybe. Yeah. Can't make everybody happy. Apparently I can't. I have spent my whole life trying <laughs> and I found out that I can't. So fuck it. Cool. Let's, let's talk about the last thing to touch on the, the Ben Greenman stuff. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to give the Ben Greenman bio? Yeah, yeah. So the backstory on this is that when we first talked for a Billboard magazine story a couple months ago, we were talking about this really fantastic, I guess you could call it like a like a high-level pr press bio, like a next-level one-sheet, sort of like that, that uh, Ben Greenman, who writes for the New York Times, and I know him for writing uh, – The New Yorker. The New Yorker, yeah. And for he has written for the New York Times. He wrote an amazing piece for them called "The Death of Curiosity," mm -hmm. about how handheld devices are killing you know any chance of ever wondering anything for longer than two seconds. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. So that's a, that's, that was an intimidating story, but ooh, yeah, it's it's incredible. You'll think about it now. You'll think about it all the time. Whenever you say to yourself, "Hey, who was the last person that did such and such?" and then you know the answer right away. Mm -hmm. But I guess maybe you grew up. In a, in a world where that was more I remember, I remember a little bit of before, yeah. which I think is neat, yeah. but mostly after. Yeah. But anyway. Okay, sorry. But anyway, um, Ben, I guess, yeah, if you're him, you've written for, like, everyone. But So sure. he's, he's been all over. I know him f especially for co-writing Questlove's autobiography, which is fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, he wrote you this very, very intriguing sort of next-level press bio, you could maybe call it about your album with Black Prairie, divided into 10 sections. We were talking about how back in the day, bands or artists' <laughs> one-sheets were just like so, so hokey, and now they're kind of just like very factual because you can't get away with anything on the internet anymore, yeah. which we just pointed out via the essay that was alluded to. Um, so yeah, let's... I'm going to read the intro of this one-sheet, and you can... We said that this fifth one, the middle one, yeah, you can do that. I, I, I guess it should be pointed out too that Ben has also written a great deal of poetry and short stories and a fantastic novel. So he's got a big background as well in prose. You know, not just you know he's ghost ghostwritten and co-written some really great auto you know autobiographies, but um, but he does also do this thing that kind of you're about to hear, which which is the um, really beautiful prose version of. The old school band bio. Mm. So, yeah. Creative nonfiction, I guess, is what you would call this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we're in creative writing class. But anyways, so it opens up. This And it's broken into ten parts. This is part one. Hello. I am human, but not entirely. I am a machine, but not entirely. I am both, which may mean that I am neither. The part of me that is a human believes that all of me is human. The part of me that is a machine doesn't like to think about the part of me that is a machine. I am flesh and blood stretched over wires and circuits. 
in that I am much like many of you, and consequently qualified to speak to you about this album, which speaks to much of me. So when you first heard that, you must have been like, damn, he likes my album. I love him. <laughs> well, we've done a lot of stuff to together, too. We've written written some songs together, and, and he's written proper bios for me before, you know, more traditional bios where you say, the old 97 started in this year and did this in this year. But um, it's really, it's crazy to to waste his talent on something so mundane. And so, um, yeah, I hit him up again, and we were playing phone tag about, like, talking about what I wanted. And then he just sent me this out of the blue because he'd been listening to the album. And it was so beautiful. And even though it didn't really speak to the exact needs of the publicity department, it did um, add a lot, I felt like, to just the the record and, and sending the record out to people because it, it's like a, a whole other level of art that can go along with it. Um, do you mind if I read five and the first half of six? Yeah, go for it. The first half of six is sort of my favorite part. <coughs> So it's a number of sections where he kind of talks about his own robot human life and his his father, and then he kind of gets into the songs in five. Um, the first song here, Wanderlust, is a perfect example of all that I am describing. It tells the story of a man on a train who is thinking about a woman who is not on that train. There's another song called Lucky Star that I believe is about finding redemption in the person of a lover. It contains a joke that unnerves me. Heaven knows there probably is no heaven. There's another song called Wicked Things about New Orleans that illustrates the slipperiness of forgiveness. Every song has little moments that catch me at strange angles, and I feel an unfamiliar sensation pitched midway between satisfying recognition and deep sadness. 6. My experience with these songs, I want to stipulate, may not be shared by others, in part because I am demonstrably different than them. I am both human and a machine. I come from a long line of people who are both humans and machines. Are they people then? I leave that to the philosophers. My father was a difference engine designed and deployed in Lund by Per Georg Schurz. He was quite large, my father. I mean, not Schurz. Schurz was tiny. In John Kirpen, where he was born, old ladies would marvel at his miniature features. Leeton Per, they would say, reaching down into the carriage and frightening the boy. Even as an adult, he was at five, he was at most five foot three, with feet that tapered down to toy-like points. Much of this is hearsay, but some of it cannot be disputed, even by the suspicious. And, at any rate, we are not talking about shirts, not really. We are talking about my father. He was the size of a forte piano. <laughs> Which... <laughs> When do you find that in a in a bio for a record that you're like you're sitting in Billboard magazine? You're like, you know, the last one's like, uh, well, the new Missy Elliott record contains uh, allusions to her early career, which we all know, you know, and blah blah blah, and you know, you're just being told things that you already know or could find out via a two minute Google search, and then you get this, and you're like, what is? happening here yeah and i love to because a mo like you said most of the press one sheets that i read all they are the same thing and b when i got this i just opens up like a press folder and i didn't really know what to expect for <laughs> and also it says name redacted on here yeah so at first i thought you wrote it yeah but i wish i wrote it i wish i could write like this and ben writes like this like he breathes he just puts it he just I swear to God, he probably wrote this in an afternoon. Well, he he may have labored on it longer than that, but he writes so easily and so much. It's crazy. And I know he can do it in his living room with his two boys just running around his stupid Brooklyn apartment. Makes me so mad. And I can kill myself for years and still just write the first third of a horrible young adult novel that nobody will ever read. <laughs> So you were saying the idea for this was kind of inspired by those olden days where band bios were just kind of off the wall? Yeah. In fact, that's funny that because that's one of the um, – I, I, I have way more ideas for long-form fiction than I do even have um, long-form fiction pieces that I've begun and forgotten. I guess maybe everyone does. But um, I do have an idea for a piece that I may or may not ever write that's, that's the form of which is based on – like a 1980s band bio, which at the time there was a um, zombie-like procession of 
lead singers in and out of Kinko's with their stupid little um, typed out manifestos. And they're all written by, like you were talking about, you thought maybe I wrote this. But of course, it's all written by the singer or, or the front man, or actually in some cases, maybe just the most driven, motivated member of the band, which might be the bass player or the drummer. But it's always like, you know, uh, let's say the band is called, you know, uh, Polar Ice. You know, Polar Ice formed in North Dallas after all four members graduated from Jesuit High School. Their first gig was at, you know, the the Rhythm Room on Tuesday, ladies' night, opening for Jack O. Pierce. Polar Ice is uh, informed by the musical uh, sensibilities of its four members, which range from funk to avant-jazz. You will hear these influences on their debut cassette EP, Polar Ice Melts Your Heart. You know, and it goes on and on. And then it'll say, Polar Ice has opened for and shared the stages with such acts as, and then it'll list off the three big bands that they were able to get opening slot for, you know, Indigo Girls, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it just goes on and on. And it's, and it's like, you're really telling me who you opened for? Like, you tricked a promoter into putting you first of three on a bill with the Indigo Girls. And now I'm, I'm having to freaking read about this in my stupid, stinky office in the back room of my bar where I don't want to work anyway. And then there's always the band photo, which is this 8 by 10 glossy in front of a brick wall. And one of the members doesn't know his fly is unzipped. And that becomes like the only thing that you remember about Polar Ice. Because somebody draws a boner coming out of the unzip fly, and it's on the wall of your bar office for the rest of your life. It was a dark time. But so it's way better now because we all have Google, and you can just go, ooh, I wonder what Polar Ice sounds like. And then you pull up a picture, pull up an MP3. You know in two minutes that they're horrible and that there should never be a funk jazz fusion called Polar Ice, and that's why they have jobs. Mm. And a lot of, like popular bands tried to pull this shit back then right (laughs) well the best was eventually bands like pavement would start making up these press releases that were filled with lies just and i mean i think maybe the last band to kind of get away with this was white stripes where there was a lot of mystery surrounding Mm -hmm. with their married brother sister divorce but 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 um pavement this is probably worth a google search like, what were the lies that Pavement propagated about their band history during their first year or two? Because they were pretty hilarious gags that Pavement was successfully pulling off to the press. And then with a straight face, they'd go out and, you know, back these lies up with full interviews about you know, these false stories about their origins. It was pretty great stuff. I never had the nuts to pull that off, but mm. good for them. Did you ever observe bands from that older age trying to pull the same thing off with the internet and just, like, falling on their faces? <laughs> just like, why is it in, like, the good old days where we could just lie? Oh, my God. No, I bet that happened. I don't know that I – I think by the time that rolled around, I was too just in my own thing and also too aware of, like, well, I can't, I can't lie, <laughs> fib. Or I remember at one point when we were getting signed, I sat down with um, – the woman who was the uh, president of Electra Records at the time, and she said, well, how many tickets are you selling? And I said, well, we're pretty much selling 2,000 tickets everywhere. And then in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, the Internet exists now. Um, well, 2,000 in really good markets. <laughs> There's some markets where we're still at 300, but let's not split hairs. Let's just round up and say 2,000 everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was a lot – it was a lot better and worse when you could lie, depending on your perspective. Man, but that's an interview when you're signing to a label. The person just sits you down and be like, yo, what are you selling? <laughs> Not even to the manager, but to the to the singer of the band? Oh, well, oh man. It, yeah, that's that was that was sort of her. That was the that main was her style. Thing. Yeah, that was her style. But she <laughs> Hard-hitting kept us, She style. kept us on for three records, so and she knew what those records sold. And I'll tell you, it was not third-eye-blind numbers. <laughs> Third Eye Blinds, I guess, self-titled numbers. That was the benchmark back then. Yeah, they were uh, – we shared a publicist, and, and I remember that was – they'd be like, oh, Steven's wearing a straight jacket on Leno. Jesus, kill me. It's a little <laughs> weird because I remember there was a time when I was jealous of Third Eye Blind because we were label mates, and <laughs> they were the benchmark for album sales, and we 
were the benchmark for critical acclaim, you know? And I remember we did a, a short run with them in the Southeast, and Stephen Jenkins came into the dressing room at one point. He's not someone with whom I've stayed friends. And, um, and he sat down and he goes, so uh, the press really likes you. How did you, how do you do that? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I could tell you my theories, but I don't think you want to hear Listen, them. Steven, here's the secret. And then you just fuck with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, dark days. Dark days. On the last day of the tour, he, I will tell you this. He he had a gag where he would come out, and it wasn't a gag. It was a, a bit. There's a difference. He had a bit where he would come out on stage with a wine bottle, and he would toast the crowd and then seemingly slug like a half a bottle of wine as if he's partying harder than everyone. Of course, guess what was in the wine bottle? Water. And um, and it was the tour manager's job every night to take this preordained bottle of probably very expensive wine. So if anybody you know, looked up what kind of wine mm. it was, they'd be like, oh my God, he drank a half a bottle of $400 wine right there. Um, but it was water every night. And so um, right before they went on stage one night, uh, or the last night of our, our opening slot, I went back and stole the wine bottle, and the tour manager was freaking out when it came time for him to hand the bottle <laughs> off to Stephen. He's like, where's Stephen's wine? And we're all going, you mean his water? I mean, it's fine. I get it. This is a, this is a uh, entertainment. It, we, don't, we don't all have to drink Jack Daniels. Sometimes it can be iced tea in your Jack Daniels bottle or water in your wine bottle. But I, I think that we had all had a, enough on that run. We just wanted to poke him a little bit in the ribs. I thought you were going to say you put something else in the bottle. Oh, Jesus. Why are you not in my band? See? <laughs> that would have been way better. Well, Third Eye Blind is still doing it, so there's still time. Ish. They announced a new album. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear the last one? There's a song about... Uh, it was called Ursa Major and had a, a big bear on it. The last one? Yeah. yeah that was had, the last one. And the single was something about young gay Republicans, right? It was really unfortunate. Oh, it was called Non-Dairy Creamer. I'm a music journalist, oh, so I remember that. Yeah. But that's what it was called. I, yeah. yeah, I don't remember what it sounds like, but it was called Non-Dairy Creamer. We did have a oh my God moment where we passed the iPad around on the last record and watched either the video or a live cut of that song and just went, wow, who is there no governor? Is there no editor? Is there no person at the label who's saying, you can't do this. You just can't do this. But they did. So mm. that's, I mean, I hate to say this, and this is Schadenfreude or whatever, but it's um, when I think back to how jealous I was of their album sales in those days, and I wasn't really, but there, was an, there were people that were wishing I was more jealous and more motivated by that jealousy to try and be more like them. Um, you know, we never had a hit, and we never had a, an album like their self titled one that blew up like that. Um, but that said, we never became distinctly um uh pegged by a time and a song and, mm -hmm. a, and a thing where we got to kind of be the same band forever instead of becoming nostalgia and we got to still make records that were you know given as much attention as our last record because the last record didn't sell multi-platinum and you know so now instead of going out on those package tours you know, with those bands that had their peak in the eight in the nineties or whatever. Don't slight them here. It was the nineties. Oh, sorry, the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of REM early was the eighties, but so they had their peak in the nineties, and and now anything they do is only in the context of what was in the nineties. And we sure people say a band that came to prominence in the nineties or or whatever version of prominence we came to, and then um, and then continued a career that was equally non hit filled but also you know credible i guess so now i'm not putting out non-dairy creamer and i'm not having to go play county fairs on a package tour so you know thank god at least there's some it balanced it evened out in some way well yeah that's exactly how i would look at that situation and so yeah there you go yeah the way to look at that on the bright side yeah, that's <laughs> i mean that's you get to have a continuous good career and not do silly things. I can't believe that you made me shit on Stephen Jenkins for like a half an hour. I don't think I made you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Chris. How did that come out? Know. That came up, I think. I totally brought yeah. it up. I yeah. did. It. I did it. I wish him only the best. Mm -hmm. Word <laughs> on that note. <laughs>
new Third Eye Blind. And I'm, I don't know when it's in stores, yeah. but but um, yeah. So that was awesome. Thanks so much for for coming by, Rat. Thanks, Chris. And I look forward to your next young adult themed podcast title. Mm, it's coming. <laughs> it's gonna have to do with what it's gonna have to do with maybe. What's big now? There's Divergent is the other big thing with Shaleen Woodley. Hunger Games. Harry Potter is sort of evergreen. It's like over, but could, it's still relevant. There's yeah. there's a lot out there to work with. None of those. None of those. Well, I'll I'll look into it for you. Thanks. No, like Maybe ask Ben if he has ideas. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's what he wants to be doing right now. Thinking of a young adult themed podcast title. For yeah. You. you know what? Stick with the Altenar Stars. I like it. I think mm-hmm. you're gonna outlive that that book. I think so too. I'm not gonna make the joke. Oh, jeez, about outliving that book. Okay. <laughs> I think the joke's already been made. <laughs> I'm going to hell. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah. Sending me to hell. Word. And for those of you listening, thanks so much for uh, checking out the podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast by clicking the iTunes link towards the bottom of the story. A new episode runs every Friday afternoon. And uh, you can also listen to archived episodes in there. Lots of good stuff. So until next Friday, have a good weekend, guys. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.